Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's been a, it's been a bit since we got behind the mic. We were a little bit busy with a whole bunch of other crap that was going on, and then we did a recording with someone, and and after recording it, and and she's like, can can we not use that anymore? And that's only happened a couple times. And this is probably the third time in five seasons that someone has felt very self conscious afterwards. And said, I think this mm. is the second time that someone said like they don't they don't want it out there. And then there's been a couple times when we've decided this is not going out there. And that's happened twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, but here we are back again, and we've got like I don't know between now and next Friday, I think we have something like six recordings lined up. So we'll be catching up and getting some more episodes pumped out for you guys. But hey, everyone, it's Amanda. It's a Thursday morning. Well, we've also had some shit go on with the college, but that I'll save that for a different day. A different. Time, I think I might even day. do that one solo. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> we are talking to Lori via Zoom today. Lori DiGiulio. Some of you may. Know know her from I know her from Instagram <laughs> but we are uh, talking to her and she's one of the presenters for the upcoming Canadian Massage Conference in Halifax Nova Scotia some of you or I assume most of you probably know by now that myself and Mark partnered with the organizers of the CMC One Concept Group uh, last year and Massage Therapy Media our new our new company our new project is now the producer of the Canadian Massage Conference and Mark because he's not a busy enough guy had this fantastic idea it is actually fantastic i know i sound very sarcastic saying this yeah, but it's a fuck, great man? freaking idea that we are going to take the cmc and well, move around the country we had a it. conversation with the cats that were running it i'm like well it's called the canadian massage conference why the f- why the fuck is it always in the greater toronto always area in it's, ontario it's yeah. it's the the greater toronto certain area it's the canadian massage conference so you want to have it in the staple of the greater toronto area cool then we'll do that in the fall but then we're going to travel this motherfucker all around and in the spring and and then we decided east coast canada is where we wanted to start i mean there's five regulated provinces in canada and you guys have three of them like you guys are important and and for whatever bloody reason when anyone thinks about massage therapy in canada they jump to ontario and bc and i I don't i don't understand why man you guys got three of the regulated provinces out there so so there's not a huge number of therapists on the east coast but like you guys are doing some really cool things there's some there's some great educators out there so for this first time going out there we decided let's bring some of our staples that we use at the cmc and then let's look for some local talent enter Lori. we reached out to her like i said i know her through instagram and we reached out and said like hey would you be interested in doing a talk at the cmc and you know let's let's see what kind of response we get from people on the east coast and you know get you in front of some some more people and, and Lori uh, does courses all over the she place she does courses anyway. everywhere anyway so this is this is kind of perfect and i'm excited that she said yes to us and then even agreed to come on the podcast so it's all very <laughs> exciting uh so Lori, i'm gonna stop talking now why don't you for our listeners introduce yourself a little bit about your background how how long you've been practicing as a massage therapist how you got into this profession and then how you got into teaching and i think you have like a whole like continuing ed company right so let's let's learn about you a little bit um so i've been in practice for since 2000 um i started in ontario so i was educated and practiced in ontario for like 14 years um and met somebody in the military and then the military posted us to Nova Scotia and then to Alberta. And I've kind of gone back and forth between Alberta and Nova Scotia in the last few years because I like Nova Scotia better. Really? Um, so we are like on this process right now of uh, making a move to Nova Scotia more permanently. My husband's being medically released from the military. Um, so we're going through the, all of that stuff. Mm. Um, I got into massage because actually I finished school, high school early because like I was the smarty pants. How early were you talking about? How early were you talking about? Um, I finished a year early because at the time I went to high school, there was still OAC. Right. So I finished OAC grade 13 a year early. I love how she's putting that in quotes. Don't worry, Lori. We're all old enough to have had who have had five years. And for any, for, for anyone that's that listening, is. it was grade 13 for the longest time. And then that became the Ontario academic credit, which is what OAC is. Mm-hmm. And then that was yeah. uh, removed at some point. So I finished and my parents said, you need to get a job or you need to go to school. And I'm like, well, I don't want to get a job. So I uh, took some like general interest courses and I was kind of on the path to enter like, you know, sciences, UT. 
And I actually took a course with Margaret Wallace, you know, in Ontario, Margaret Wallace Duffy now. And she was running this like, you know, couple weekends, learn how to massage your friends and family kind of course and changed everything for me. So um, didn't end up going to university at that time and enrolled in massage college. Um, I got into teaching kind of as a fluke as well. Um, I was working and, you know, at that time in the early 2000s for a few years um, in the Brampton area. And I was in a mall and I ran into this girl I went to high school with and I hadn't seen her in like 14 years. And she, um, she said to me, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, I was doing massage therapy. And she said, Oh, I'm like the academic coordinator for a college in Toronto. And we're starting the massage program. Do you want to teach? I'm like, fuck, sure. Um, <laughs> what whatever, the hell? Right? What the hell? I'm not Why doing not? anything. <laughs> yeah. And so I went in for an interview and they're like, okay, um, you're like hired. And the course starts on Monday. It was a Thursday. Stop. And they had no curriculum. Oh my they had no program coordinator. And I was it. I'm I'm this I'm happy. Way too much. I'm happy that you survived. I got so many things to that I want to ask about. It was fucking wild. My my, yeah. my first comment is I'm happy that you survived that. I'm happy that you're the type of person that probably enjoyed that challenge. But I'm also I was young and stupid. Well, I also want to say, fuck you, private career college. Like that is a that is a shit move. In other words, you enrolled students, yeah. you took fucking money from people in the premise that they're going to start a program and they didn't even have an instructor for it when they did all of this. And they found Never you on a that. Thursday. They didn't even have a program. This is bullshit. Imagine that. Imagine that. So good on them for finding you. Good on you for taking up the challenge. But, you know, whoever you are at Career College and they're probably... Anyway. Th- that's 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 going to be my, my that's i think that's a kind of common practice i mean it's, it's not as bad now i know that but it was but pretty it still happens i received a phone call move, i received a phone call sometime within the last year from a woman and the way she presented herself initially on the phone was like oh i'm from such and such college and i was trying to find out from her like where did you get my contact you know why are you cold calling me that you know you're looking for instructors and it turns out you know she just went on the cmto registrar looked for people like in this area because she Anyway, she made it sound that she had a school. And then as I researched more, no, 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 there's nothing there. She was basically looking for someone to do what both of you have done before, just build a program. And like she was even talking to me about accreditation and all this stuff. And I'm like, you don't even have a school yet. The difference between what I did and what Lori did was they didn't start their program with nothing going on. They waited till it was established and then they started it. That's the first thing that I wanted to say. The second thing is when you met the dude that's in the military that is now your husband, and and he's like, hey man, we're, we're we're I'm moving around. You coming with me? How does that go? I want to know how that goes. And are you jumping into open open minds? Okay, yeah, let's do this. You're like, really? Like I, I kind of like where I am. Like this is going to be a little work for me. Well, at the time that we were being posted, you know, we had dated for about a year, year and a half, and I had been in Ontario for 14 years, had a multidisciplinary clinic that I had run for about 10 years. And I was really done with that. Mm. Like at this point in time, I'm so glad I don't own a business anymore. At the beginning, I was like, oh, I have to own my own clinic. And now I'm so happy to you were done, to with, done with You that. were done with Toronto as well or, or just the clinic? Um, I was done with the clinic. And yeah. I think I was really excited to to move to the East Coast. That was our first posting. And actually, we were supposed to be going to Pakistan for a few years because he was posted at the embassy, but something happened with the governments and they had to pull him out of Pakistan in kind of an emergency. Um, but that was the original plan. And I was excited because it's kind of cool. Right. You have a friend whose husband was military. He's mm-hmm. retired now. Did mm-hmm. she move around with him or did she stay, did she stay like still and he moved so as as long as i've known them together um like their relationship together that i've known he's done like three tours like in afghanistan but i don't remember them ever no when he was not in afghanistan they were here in toronto yeah it hasn't always been good when we got posted to alberta i was excited to move i loved nova scotia but we went on what they call hht it's their house, house hunting trip so they send you there we get to the edmonton airport rent a car and drive to where we're supposed to live, which is like four hours north of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And we got there. I was okay. We got into our hotel room. I sat on the bed and like ugly, snotty cry. And my husband's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, hey, hey, hey. 
here? And I was just like bawling my eyes out. It's, like a psychopath. I can imagine being tough. Yeah, especially because you really love the East tough. Coast too. Like I, I understand that excitement initially of like moving to from Toronto to the East Coast. That's exciting. Plus you were in a period of your life where you were done with what you were doing. So yeah. something change new is, is cool. Change, change was welcome. But then having to like uproot and go somewhere that is not in your mind an upgrade. And I, I, I don't blame you. Living like northern Alberta versus you know on the coast in Nova Scotia I, I would take Nova Scotia know. like no offense Alberta I would take Nova Scotia yeah, well, and you yeah. were happy there right Never so I can understand that there was a period of time just I would say about a year before we had children that um, somebody in Newfoundland had reached out to Mark or somebody basically there was an opportunity that Mark might be able to help build a curriculum no it was an idea that I had so the school that I was that I was with that I, I rewrote their curriculum. They were contacted by another school in Newfoundland right, saying they wanted to purchase the curriculum or rent the yeah. curriculum, however, to lease the curriculum, however it fucking works, right? And uh, so they would constantly be, you know, emailing me because I, I wrote the program, all these questions about what do we do for this? What do we, I'm like, it's all, it's like, it's self-explanatory, but they had a whole bunch of questions. So then I was just thinking to myself, you know what? I can probably get a job going out there, doing something for a year just to get it really running for them properly. And so I kicked around that idea. Well, yeah, and by this point, I was proposing a, that and I never bought I it. I was a massage therapist by this point. So he said, what would you think if we, you know, if we were able to get jobs teaching in Newfoundland and move to the East Coast for a little while. And at that moment, I was super excited. Shortly after, I became pregnant and I was like, I don't want to anymore. Like the thought of not being around like my mom and my family and whatever. I was like, no, 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 never mind. Just kidding. Like, let's stay here. But I think had the family not happened, I would have wanted us to explore that a little more. The thought of moving to the East Coast was pretty exciting. Yeah, I don't know how military families do it. It's hard. We don't have kids, so it's a lot easier just to to move around. But yeah, it's hard if you have kids. Made your dad, but it looks so easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's, a sitcom. That's, that's for us old folks, made your dad, made it look easy. Did you ever know any military families? Like, did you ever know any no, kids who got bounced around? No, no. The only sort of military dude I ever met. It's not even till like I was in the third year university. Oh, okay. No, I can't think of any. I don't know if I knew any. Well, let's put it this kids. way. I grew up, my high school was a bunch of immigrants. Like, no one here is going military. No one's parents were military. No one's parents were even freaking Canadian. Like, do you know what I mean? That's like, true. So, well, they were Canadian, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then you're, you're miserable in Alberta. You don't want to stay there. So what happens? So I'm a giant dick of a wife, and my husband gets diagnosed with PTSD and is now going through the process of medical release. So I'm like, see you later, honey. I'm going to Nova Scotia. Meet me when you get released. Oh. <laughs> but no, I made sure he was okay. He's okay. And so I moved to Nova Do Scotia. Dude said because... hate mail. She made sure he was okay for her. Well, it makes sense that he's okay. His yeah. wife is sitting here unhappy about stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, you go get happy. Like, <laughs> and then let me just yeah. do what I got to do to get out of this. Yeah. yeah, I get it. So now we're kind of making this transition over. So I came here to kind of restart my practice again um, and kind of get a setup for when he's here. No more larger clinic, just a solo practice. And then the education, is that what we're doing? Is that the plan? I'm actually um, working at a multidisciplinary clinic owned by an MT oh, cool. um, that I have been in since back and forth since 2014. Nice. So it's a really great spot for me and it's not hard to restart here because it's not really a restart. Tell me a little bit about the the courses that you've developed and delivered. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a f quite a few actually. I kind of, I think that what I like to do in teaching is just share what I, I know and what's really worked for me in practice. And I, I actually really struggle with continuing education and the environment because I know that you know, from one perspective, if I branded things and kind of <laughs> used language that got people really interested, kind mm -hmm. of trendy language, right. that I would probably draw a lot more, yep. like kind of those modality gurus. Yep. But I fucking hate that so much. It kills me inside. E even, you know, honestly, this course about the truth about SOAS, I think that's kind of gimmicky and it makes me gag a little bit because I hate that. Like I hate that environment and in, in CE. I just want to teach stuff that so I know. Let me ask you a question though. Your, your material is good. You're a good instructor and you believe all these things. So what if you have to be, and I'm just being devil's advocate. 
So what if you have to be a little gimmicky to pull people in because you know you're going to be able to. De- she, you're she was g- making the gag face while you were saying that. You're gonna, but you're going to be able to deliver on it. It's different if you're being gimmicky and all that shit and then you actually can't deliver. Do you know what I mean? So at least you're, it's a, you're using it in a way to bring in maybe an audience that might not have come in, but then you're also, you're, this is now a person that might not have been in front of you, period, to see your brilliance yeah. and to be able to, you know, get a different perspective on, on stuff like that. So I, I go... <laughs> I go all over the place in this because I've we talked about this before on the podcast. Yes, we understand it's unethical, for example, for me to pay someone to send referrals to me. But if I'm actually like the, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, but in this example, if I'm actually the best fucking therapist ever and, and everything I do is gold, then is it really unethical because the person is actually going to get the best care? Do you see what I'm saying? It's a really strange line. But anyway, which way, the gagging, I want to know, like, what about the whole gimmicky thing? And that was just, a, just an idea. I actually struggle with the whole massage therapy space. I'm getting better at it because okay. I think I'm a little bit of a dick. I'm a, I'm kind of a bit of a jerk. And like totally judgmental, but also not judgmental. I don't know. Um, But the massage therapy space for so long bothered the shit out of me because early on in my practice, I'd go to these conferences and everybody be all huggy and massaging each other during breaks and stuff. I'm like, who are these people? These are not my fucking people. (laughs) Like I tell people all day, I don't want to be at a conference where somebody's massaging my shoulders during our break. I just, I just hate it. Like, why do I feel like Lori and I should have became friends 10 years ago? (laughs) Like I, I, I understand this 100% because it. I'm not like that at all. No. But I also, yeah. I also recognize with me, one of the reasons why I'm not like that. I enjoy treating. I don't love treating that it's so much part of my identity in life that I do this when I'm just around things that are not work related. Yeah. But there are other people that do. And, and thank God for them in this profession because... I'm not like that. And and there's definitely a clientele that needs someone like that, that is really just in love with it and this is their life and it's their identity and everything else. But I'm in love with other parts of the profession, not necessarily all the, all the touchy stuff all the time. I enjoy it. I do it. I think I'm decent at it. My clientele will say I'm decent at it. But I don't I don't get a kick out of it as much as those cats do. That was your biggest issue is like what being else? at the conference. Hey, I want to hear more. I want to know yeah. what else you made you feel like you weren't in your space. I really enjoy I think maybe Mark probably as well, based on his background. Um, I really enjoy movement as a very large portion of my practice. And so I found that in massage education, all massage education is is about learning the new trendy technique that's gonna solve all the problems of all the people. And I really, I wanted to to teach people how to incorporate movement in their in their practice and in home care more. I think I think that's a part of what we do that's not done enough. And so at the beginning, I was targeting personal trainers because I really liked personal trainers. I liked working with personal trainers who understood movement and who encouraged people to move more frequently. And as I did that, I realized personal trainers weren't really drawn to me because I'm not one really. And so in the last couple of years, I've been focusing a little bit more on drawing the attention of, of other massage therapists, kind of reluctantly, <laughs> but it's hard to find that, that group, that group of massage therapists who's, who's willing to take sheets off a table and use movement as a primary intervention versus massage technique. It's interesting that you say that because I find actually right now when you were talking about trends, I find in the last couple of years, movement seems to be the trend amongst massage therapists. And Mark used to, I mean, he said it on many episodes. He chuckles and he's like, God damn it, guys. Us kins have been doing this the whole time. Like, this is our job. Like yeah. this is like it's it's just funny. It's like it's like you 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 now realize the wheel can make your car move. Like it's, you know, that's what it feels like to me. I'm with you though on the on the trends. Like what's you know there's always seems to be like buzzwords and things that people get really into at certain times. But something like movement is foundational and it's fundamental and it it should definitely be part of what we do. But on the other hand, massage therapy though the, in its traditional definition and the way that we're taught it. We we're taught a small amount of movement in terms of being able to prescribe remedial exercise, but most of our skills are focused on the manual therapy. But understanding that movement is integral and either if you are not a movement expert, knowing the people you can refer to is really important or then taking other continuing education that will help you incorporate the movement. 
either or is fine. Like I don't I don't have any hate for the therapist who wants to strictly be manual and then refer to a kin or a physio or a personal a trainer. Idea. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. If you are not an expert. Just because something's within your scope of practice doesn't mean that you're good at it. Doesn't yeah, mean absolutely. that doesn't mean that's in your wheelhouse to do this. Like if someone came to me and they needed they needed massive amounts of manual lymphatic drainage, like I know the basics. I was taught the basics. Right. It's not within my wheelhouse, but no. it's in my scope of practice. But it would be wrong for me to be like, Yeah, come see me or I can take care of that. I'd be like, go see a water therapist. Well, it's just like labor support, right? Like labor support in Ontario is in our within our scope of practice, but I don't recommend our MTs just decide to start saying to their clients, hey, I'm going to come to your birth or do you, want, do you want me to come to your birth unless you've had some sort of training in that. Can I ask you a question? Because this kind of goes along the lines with the whole gimmicky thing. And we've kind of, we, we've talked about this online before you and I, but not really talked about it. We just kind of like, yeah, I don't do that either. What do you think about, because I feel like it's gimmicky as well. Anyone that's attacking, because there's a lot of people that are, that are in the CE business that attack each other, right? They're like, well, this person sells you, you know, things that don't work. Or this person is saying like exactly what you said. Like, oh, I got the newest technique and it's the greatest thing ever. And I find a lot of times the people that do those attacking, they do the same thing, but they do it from a different angle. So in other words, why do you bother getting your courses approved then? If you feel like it's all about the content and the material and blah, 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 and you're ready to point your fingers at these other people, you're kind of doing the same thing where I'm just enticing someone to take my course because I've got it approved in the States or I got it approved in this province or this association or this association. We do not get our courses approved here. I think we had this conversation where you're like, I don't really do that either. If someone finds yeah. value in the content and they think it's going to make them a better clinician or they just want that knowledge for themselves, then they should want to take that course regardless of what association, what governing body, how many credits, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of these cats that are ready to point at, at what someone else does with their CE course and how they market it, how they market it is horrible. And it's, the words I hear are predatory. predatory. It's predatory. I'm like, well, you enticing someone with 14 CEs is just as predatory in my mind. Well, and two, you know, the, the whole CE industry and the approval, I hate it. Sometimes yes, I get yes. them approved if I'm doing in-person courses in one area. But first of all, it's a racket. I've yes. gone to associations, I'm sure you have experienced this too, who tell me that part of the approval process is I have to offer their members a discount to my course. Fuck you. No, you're not the gatekeeper of education. And I think that's one thing Ontario has done well with the Strive program yep. is that they re they've removed that gatekeeping. Because I don't offer your members a discount, I'm not allowed to be approved. That's garbage and that is not garbage. the role an association should take i'm putting i'm putting an asterisk on the whole uh, we don't do approvals because it's our first time coming to the east coast we're we you know we're we're thinking no, we're gonna no, 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 no. we're wait, gonna wait, get wait. those approved. different Conant institute our continuing yeah. education company does not do approvals. but you can always get them approved I, I don't understand where it came from that you know when i started off practicing nothing was pre-approved right you submitted the course exactly. outline yep. you submitted the cv and that's it and this you can perfect. still do that because exactly and not not a lot of not a lot of massage therapists recognize that hey just because this isn't on my association's list doesn't mean i can't get credit for it oftentimes you would just have to submit that content yourself here's yeah. the course outline here's what we went through here's the course itinerary whatever the case is here's the number of hours and then they will review it and they'll decide is this worth credit or not. That yeah, type I of spoke thing. to That's almost the job of your association. Exactly. Yep. I spoke to almost every association in Canada. Um, it was either late 2019 or early 2020. I'm, I'm a little foggy on that, but I called every association just to inquire about what the approval process was because we were thinking, you know, do we want to get courses approved? And as you said, Lori, like this, the process was just way more than I I really wanted to invest in it because it's unnecessary. Who's judging this at the end of the day? Like right. who 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 are you that sits on the education committee of this association to say this is good to go to our members or not? Yeah. It's not like how the CMTO used to do it because they approved courses, but their approval yeah. didn't mean you couldn't take them and it wasn't worth anything. It was always worth it as long as within scope and practice. Yep. But they would approve it for the number of credits. So they would ask you for your course outline. They would say how 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 long is this course? Where are the breaks? What's the content? So they'd match the content to scope of practice. Mm -hmm. And then they'd match the number of instructional hours. And then they'd say, okay, this is either category B or category A, this many credits. Yep. They're not approving it for content. No. Right? And I think that's where everyone kind of, and you didn't even need a course approved, but it's not But every association anyway. I spoke to, just for any massage therapists in Canada listening, at least in Canada, I can't speak to the US, but 
for every association in Canada that I spoke to, and I called all the major ones, I specifically asked them, if we do not go through this process, because at the time we had 22 courses on our course calendar, and most of the associations wanted a separate application per course. And I was like, do you think that this is what, you know, my only job? I don't know. This is a lot. Plus an application fee for each one. There was a couple of associations who said, you know, we can bundle so that you don't have to pay a separate application fee. But either way, I specifically ask them if one of your members decides to take, for example, our assessments review course, can they submit it to you and get the approval on their own? Nobody said no. Every single association said absolutely, like it should be the member's responsibility and they should be the ones taking control of their continuing education. The minute I heard that from all the associations, I was like, well, I don't see the point in me going through all of this paperwork to get things pre-approved when we don't know how many people from each province are going to take our courses. Why not just anybody who wants to take it? And so that's the way we respond to people when they say, hey, are you guys approved here in Nova Scotia? We say you can submit it to your association but you for know approval. What? To be honest with you, like if we did it, we'd make a shit ton of money in the end, right? So it would have been to our benefit monetarily yeah. to do it. We also chose not to do it because forget it. I just want, I want someone that's going to take a course with us because they're finding value in the material. That's it. That's why I want you to take the course. Not because you're going to get credit for something. And if you happen to get credit for it, then cool. But that's not, that's not going to be the driving factor here. Yeah. But like I said, for conferences, we kind of want to get things approved. Well, the conference is different. It's different. To me, the conference is very different. So if, if you, in the East Coast, provinces all of those all of those governing bodies they have to have the course approval as far as i is understand it to be so it would be just a major difference and then we're like this is our first time in east coast canada let's make it as easy as possible and as enticing as possible for people to want to come to a conference yeah right we're trying to build this conference into into something a little bit bigger than it was so i think doing this for the conference is an absolute brilliant yeah, idea yeah it's a right? totally different situation and, and the conference yeah. setup isn't isn't full day courses blah 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 blah. it's it's like smaller amounts of education coming at you that type of thing okay so yeah speaking of the courses the you said you cringed at the title the truth about soas but that is what you're going to be teaching at the CMC Halifax. So tell us both why that makes you a little cringy and then also a little bit about the course. Well, because SOAS is one of those things, right? Like if you talk about SOAS, you get the attention of like a billion people, either because they agree with you that SOAS isn't like tea tree oil, the solution to all problems, or because they're like, oh, SOAS, so trendy. I love SOAS. I love talking about SOAS, like fascia. Mm. Um, so that's why kind of it makes me cringy. Um But what I'm going to talk about in that course is really about the anatomy. I think that psoas is one of those muscles that we we poorly learnt the anatomy of. Um, We poorly learnt some techniques for treating and addressing psoas. And so the idea of behind the course is really to talk about the anatomy, look at the anatomy with a little bit more critical thinking um, and understand how we're able to access this muscle or not, and whether or not it actually is a huge problem mm-hmm. versus other structures in the area. We talk about this a lot in, in our in our exercise courses. So for example, our foundations of exercise course, I speak about this quite a bit. And I speak about my 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 love and hate for anatomy textbooks. I mean, they're great to learn, hey, where this muscle is and to and to understand it the way it looks in its location. It's horrible to tell me what it does for the body. It's absolutely fucking horrible. And when you start to take a look at it, well, one of the reasons they do this is they just, uh, anatomy textbook would talk about, say, for example, the muscle's contraction and how it moves. This this muscle does this move. Bicep brachii will supinate the forearm, flex the elbow, and flex the shoulder. Cool. But that's half the battle. That's talking about its concentric contraction. Well, what does it do when it eccentrically contracts? Right, so you automatically have it in a therapist's mind, like, oh, this is what this muscle does, and that's how they go relating to it all the time, and then therefore they're not understanding how it participates in different types of movement. Another thing I don't like about anatomy textbooks, but is great for the learning process, is like when they're describing those movements, like, okay, I understand why they're saying, hey, this is just about it's about a line of pull, and if this line of pull was to happen, then this would how it moved at the joint, but it doesn't take into account the biomechanics of it, the physics of it. So, for example, like when you resolve, I know this is going to sound really strange. 
if you're not into these ideas. But when you resolve the vector, for example, of your brachioradialis, you recognize it's more of an elbow stabilizer than an elbow flexor. But when you look at it in an anatomy textbook, it talks about the action of flexing the yeah. elbow, right? And the other thing that I love about anatomy textbooks, but I hate at the same time, it's a great learning tool, but it's it, that's all it is. It's a learning tool. It'll isolate this fucking muscle. You'll get to see this one muscle against these bones, and then you don't necessarily put together like, hey, there's a whole bunch of other things that are participating in movements when this thing is contracting or whatever, whenever this thing's interacting. So you kind of, you, you can't, in other words, you can't stop with the anatomy stuff no. from that basic regional anatomy, musculoskeletal regional anatomy course that you do in massage school because that doesn't give you enough information. That's all that is. Where is this thing located in relation to other stuff? Okay, how does it kind of work? What nerve innervates it? Okay, we'll walk away now. Most of us learned it with like a chart, you know, muscle, location, origin, insertion, fiber direction, action, how to stretch it, how to strengthen it. It's very, very basic. But like Mark said, then you're not seeing the entire picture. So this is why there's this mental block with massage therapists and movement, because they don't actually understand with one movement, they can't figure out what muscles are working together, what's, you know, what's stabilizing, what, what's a prime mover. They actually have no idea unless it's something, yeah, it's difficulty. It, it, it might take a while to, to arrive at that versus how immediate it probably should be. I think that, that you made a really good point. I think the essential, if if anatomy text could just add this one component, if they could just differentiate between a primary action and something that is more secondary yes. based on the physics, based on levers, yes. that would solve a huge number of problems because then psoas now does not become a hip flexor and a ton of other muscles also drop some of their functions. Um, it, you know, that would make a huge difference, like a huge difference. I, I taught at a college um, here in Nova Scotia um, towards the end of a, the program. And it was a Remex class that I actually wrote the curriculum for, for them as well. Um, and I don't know if they loved it actually, because I wrote it based on how I think people should learn movement. Right. And when I went into the class, they had done all of their anatomy, right? So they'd done all of their anatomy. They should have been pretty good with all of their anatomy. Mm -hmm. And when I went in, instead of saying, this is how you stretch upper trapezius. This is how you concentrically load upper trapezius. I asked them to group movement, lateral flexion, flexion, extension. It doesn't matter who's doing it. Mm -hmm. How do you get flexion of the neck stronger? And nobody could figure it. They're like, can you just tell us how to strengthen longest coli? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I can't. You know, that's not going to serve you at all. If you know that all of these muscles are flexors, and you understand the principle of concentric load and providing resistance, you don't need to know the strengthening exercise for longus coli. Mm -hmm. And it's just a shame that that's how people learn. It's a shame. And now you have a whole bunch of courses to help right. build on that, right? So yeah, <laughs> I, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, can you give a little bit of background about your, I think Mark started to ask this, then we went on 7 million tangents as we do. Sorry, but I'm smoking weed. <laughs> Way too early in the morning. It is. It is still morning, isn't it? That's I'm, fine. I'm already it's looking fine. for McDonald's. I'm there's, hungry. There's already. no I got rules. The munchies. <laughs> How did you decide to start developing your own CE courses? Like you went from teaching formal education, similarly to Mark, and now you have your own CE courses. How did this all come about? And you know, where where do you teach these courses? And yeah, give me a little information about this. It came about because I started to hate formal education. Mm. So I, I hated being stuck in a school that told me how to teach, even though I knew it was not great. Um, I hated being stuck in a place where the, the ways of teaching were antiquated. The concepts that were being taught were antiquated and I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Although I loved teaching. I really did love teaching. I loved the interaction of the students. I didn't like to be part of formal education anymore. Um, Did you ever, sorry to cut you off and go on another tangent, but I hear this a lot from people. I mean, Mark himself really just got tired of formal education. Was there ever a discussion? Did you ever bring up these concerns with anyone? Like, who would you even bring this up to? Like, did anybody know that you were thinking this is not the most effective way to teach massage therapy? Yeah. Like my last, the last class I ever taught, um, it was a group of three different classes, kind of at different spots in their program. And there was one class that was the most challenging class I think I've ever come across in my whole career. And 
the problem, part of the problem was I was asking them to, to critically think and the school was telling me not to do that essentially. And so I, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that asking students at the end of their program to actually apply their knowledge was a problem. Um, and I talked to the to the person running the program about it. And they said, listen, this is how we, we want to teach it. Um, this is what you have to do. And I said, no. Did they ever qualify like why they wanted to teach it that way? Like, why does it, why does it have to be instructed that way? See, I'm okay. I'm not, I, I don't. Because the students I don't, are complaining. Wow. Okay. I get it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, I, I mean, get it. but that's their, that's their, that's their logic. The students are complaining. So, so, so don't do that anymore. So, is that is that what you meant by that was the most challenging group that you've had? What is it? What is a challenging group of adults learning massage therapy? What does that look like to you? I know what that looks like to me. What does that look like to you? It looks like um, it looks like not wanting to do the work, like not wanting to critically think, being wanting to be handed notes instead of taking notes. Um, and I think that's kind of common. I don't know if it's now, um, but that was kind of common towards the end of my teaching career. You know, you hand out a bunch of photocopied notes or, you know, digitally pass on these notes. And really, I, I don't understand why you come to class then if it's just really reading off PDFs. And It's really interesting. It's really interesting. I think education is changing now. I'm, I'm involved. I do surveying for the Canadian Massage Therapy Council for accreditation. Mm -hmm. So I do accreditation across the country. And man, there's there's some programs that are doing amazing things. So that's changing. Right. And you can't even do that in your own province. You got to travel to do that, right? You're not allowed yeah, to do it in yeah. your province. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I, I think a lot of that kind of, it's, it's, I, I, it's frustrating as hell as an instructor. But... I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's wrong. I, 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 not, not for me to be frustrated. Me being frustrated is just my feelings, and I'm allowed to be frustrated if I want to. But my, am I warranted to being frustrated? Like sometimes I caught myself going, "Don't you ever want to be here?" But then I, then I start to think, well, you know what? You're also a 55 year old dude who's doing a career change, and you still you're going to work somewhere, and you're coming here at night, and. You know, maybe you were told about the program, like, don't worry, your instructors will 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 treat you like this, because I don't know what that's the conversation is in the administration, and so I I I had the, many of those moments, like you're like, oh, what the, like, I, do you want to do this? If you want to do this, just put in the work that it's meant to be, and challenge yourself to be a good therapist. And but then I also recognize that there's some people that are just like, I'm here for a different reason because I want to just do a massage and go work in a spa somewhere. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? I, yeah. I see what you're and saying. it's a bit of a dick move, it's, right? Like, it, but it's I not agree. a dick. I'm a, no, I no, don't think I'm a dick, dick for thinking, you're not for a, thinking dick. a similar way. You're not like, a dick. Then I'm a dick and I'm not a dick. So don't worry about it. Maybe we're you're not, a dick. I don't know you that well. <laughs> we're not, we're, I, don't think, I don't think we're dicks. I think it's just natural as as an instructor to really want your your people in front of you to be way better than they when they walked in and part yeah, of that like is, i always thought you're going to be my colleagues exactly. i want you to be like really good at what you do and all Why of don't that, you want to do it all of that is like putting all those things out for them and the critical thinking all so i totally get it i don't think it makes you a dick but I it's don't not think it makes you it's, it's not until i started it's not until recently when i started to just think about it think about things a little different but i it, i don't know if it ever changes my mind I allow other things to set in and I think about them. But again, I don't know if it ever changes my mind. So the way I think about massage therapy education um, is I, I don't think either one of you are a dick for thinking that critical thinking should be a component of and it. challenging I, I think, someone in their program. I, I think, think it's important. I think that needs to be at the base of massage therapy education because when you are, I mean, especially when you get out into the profession and you hear again, we're going to go back to buzzwords, people saying things like biopsychosocial and you're dealing with informed. the people and evidence informed and all this stuff. How can you possibly even think that way if you don't develop your critical thinking skills in school. So what I mean by that is when somebody comes into your clinic, you're dealing with a person. You're not dealing with a textbook case of whatever it is. You're not going to have somebody come in and present exactly the way you learned in yep. Rattray 
uh, oh, you have Dequervin's tenosynovitis. Oh, you have uh, patellofemoral syndrome. Oh, you have carpal. T- that is not, that's not real life. That's not what happens. Right. So when you have somebody come in and you have to be able to figure out, um, you know, whether it's pain or dysfunction or whatever, you have to be able to figure out, okay, what is going to be the most effective treatment intervention, most effective treatment plan? How am I supposed to relate to this person? All of this requires you to use critical thinking. And a lot of us had to learn that on the job. You know, that wasn't really the way we were learned in school was essentially, as I said, it was charts. It was, here's a recipe to treat somebody who has a compartment syndrome. This is how they're going to present. This is how you're going to assess. This is, you know, what indicates a positive assessment. This is a good treatment intervention. Like we were given this recipe and the critical thinking wasn't necessarily there. Now, yes, there's going to be people who argue me on, well, that's what the oral practical exams were for and this and that where you had to think your way through it. But even the way STEMs are written, whether in school or at the OSCE, they're telling you information that you may not get from a patient. Patients don't know how to... um, qualify pain or dysfunction or even if you say to them okay do you normally have issues moving when you're you know reaching behind you or reaching and they you've seen it in their treatment in the treatment room and they're starting to try to move their shoulder around in all different ways to try to see can I recreate this feeling and they can't necessarily on the day they come to see you so you're not even getting all the information that in school you're going to be given you know, in, in my OSCE exam, I was basically told, like, this is where the trigger point is. That's not real life. But even in the OSCE, that's what I was going to say. We need it before our practice. In my OSCE, at the time I did mine, I don't know when you guys did your, but I had a four-station OSCE. And so when I did mine, I got to the Remex station, funny enough, and I got peroneus longus to stretch. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like almost certain I got the same muscle. That is so funny. <laughs> Swear yeah, to God. And so I'm like, holy shit. And that's when you need critical thinking. I mean, if you're going into CMTO exam and you had to memorize how to stretch and strengthen every muscle, and that's how you're going in, that's a lot harder than how do I stretch something that is an everter, inverter, dorsiflexor, yeah. plantar flexor. Like if you can't, if you can't, if you don't have critical thinking skills at that point in time, I think people don't do well in in provincial examinations. Yeah, it's not about memorization when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to remedial exercise, or I mean anything, it's not all memorization. It's just using your foundational knowledge, taking that and applying it via critical thinking. So as I'm listening to you guys talk and saying, oh, I'm kind of a dick to think this way. You're not, even with that 55-year-old man, you trying to encourage him to really understand the foundational stuff and be able to critically think his way through any scenario is only going to be helping him versus it's actually going to be more difficult, as Lori just said, for him to try to memorize 96 assessments and, you know, however many uh, stretches and whatever based on, okay, how do I stretch my lats? I totally get it. Yeah. So I don't think you guys are dicks. I think that that to me is what massage therapy school should be is learning how to actually figure out what's going on with this person in front of you. I'm just saying in in a scenario like that, which is really different than a CE class, because a CE class is like a bunch of professionals sitting in from you and they have you know that there's a certain foundational knowledge that's been placed there at some point maybe it's still not there but it's it's been inputted and evaluated at some point but then you're sitting in a classroom with with a bunch of people and again they're adults right so of various stages of life of various backgrounds of various needs everyone needs something different Mm -hmm. right and being able to deliver that Meeting someone where they're at and being able to deliver that for like everyone in the room is fucking challenging. It's very challenging. Right? So like this one person that 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 the photocopies and all that kind of stuff that really really helps with them like that they rely on that somehow, and this person here really relies on being challenged, critical thinking, and this person over here is like, I, I don't I don't operate that well with this. Do you know what I mean? That it's it's a weird fucking balancing act, and I see why so many instructors. If you really, really care, you're just like, I'm done. 
That's going to take yeah. That's going to take a really um, a really good instructor to be able to understand people. And I mean, massage therapists have those skills. If you really are passionate about teaching, you have yeah. those skills because you understand how to connect with people and you understand communication, verbal, nonverbal. Mm-hmm. You understand different you know learning stuff. I I totally get that. All I was saying is it's regardless if the person needs more visual aids, more practice, more whatever, at the foundation of massage therapy education, critical thinking has to be there. Absolutely. And so even if that means that, yeah, I'm going to give you the charts because that helps you, you know, your visual, you like to see everything in this neat, organized way, but I'm still going to challenge you in a way that makes you take this and apply it to real life. What do you think of the, the student that is not a good student in terms of the academic side but then you watch them work and you're like are you fucking kidding me like you just do things so well you pick up on things so well you execute them well and you come up with your own shit without even having without even having display that you understand the foundational knowledge and you come up with your own shit really really well like you're a good therapist what do you think of those those cats i feel like that's a shame because like, especially in a regulated province where you have to pass a provincial examination, man, those people can really get hit hard. Um, but at the same time, you know, like, what do you give up by not having that, that provincial examination? You know, I think you give up a lot too. So it's, it's such a tough situation because there's definitely people out there that have natural interpersonal skills. And it doesn't matter how much I love anatomy and how much I love movement and physics it doesn't fucking matter in the end. If if I am able to connect with someone, that is way more powerful than all the fancy techniques and Absolutely. all my anatomy knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so for those people, those therapists that just have a really good interpersonal skills and who are genuine and really good at touch and 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 being there for people, I think it's a shame because in school, I, I used to see those people a lot and I th- think, oh shit, they're going to go to these, these OSCEs and they're not going to make it. Well, and that's why we often to do talk about, you know, there's a lot of a lot of noise out there of therapists who are saying like we need tougher education, we need, you know, it needs to be tougher to get into this profession, but then Mark and I will come back and say exactly what you just said, but there are also really great therapists who maybe don't have the you know, the most technical knowledge, you know, they're not, they weren't the the top of their class kind of students. They kind of just skim by in school. They barely pass the licensing exams, but like they have thriving practices and their, their patients love them. And, you know, we, we kind of really like still having space for those people, you know, and, and as long as every therapist knows how to stay stay in their own lane. It, right. It's no no better way to say that. But knowing what you are good at, knowing when you have to refer out to somebody, knowing when something is outside of your your knowledge base. And that's where, you know, you were saying how Ontario maybe did a good thing with the Strive. If Strive was, a, there, you know, definitely they need to execute a little bit better on it. But if Strive was used properly, I think that is the intent of it, is really knowing what type of therapist you are and being able to really focus on and put energy into the skills that's going to suit your your patient's needs and your practice. So Lori really knows anatomy very well. There might be another therapist who doesn't feel that confident in anatomy, but like you said, their interpersonal skills are there. They're really good at touch. Their patients feel cared for and they've got a really busy practice with people that want to see somebody just like right. them. And they recognize and that's great. As long as they, yeah, as long as that that self-awareness is there and the ego is not there where you think that you are the person that can fix everybody. It's an interesting, it's it's a whole interesting way to look at it then. Because then, yeah, I, then that's I have a great argument. colleague who's like, been in practice as long as I have. And she says to me, you know, and I sometimes get referrals from her. She's like, I can't figure shit out. I'm not good at assessment. Right. So I rely on chiropractors, physiotherapists, other massage therapists. You do the assessment. You tell me what's going on and I will fix the shit out of that person. And she is fantastic. And nothing therapist. is wrong with that. So yeah. maybe, maybe this is the argument for no education requirements don't need to change. No, uh, the actual education maybe needs to be up to date, but the level of education doesn't need to be changed. What you need to have is then a, a really good understanding of where you fit within scope of practice and, and kind of practice within that. And underlying all that is still critical thinking. Well, yeah. <laughs> we went full circle. I love that. 
That's no, it's that's like a really it's a really interesting, interesting argument that I've never thought of for hey, maybe massage education is absolutely fine the way it is. Maybe we just need to be educating those folks in there that, you know, it just don't do anything that's well beyond what you're capable of. And it is yeah. it is intended to be entry and to practice, right? Diversify. And that's why continuing ed is is as diverse as it is. Like there are going to be people who are attracted to the new trendy modalities. There are going to be people who want to use instruments and tools and cups and this and that. There are going to be people who want to learn about pain and want to work strictly with people with chronic pain. There's going to be one of people who are anatomy nerds like Lori here and sorry to call you a nerd, but you've got to be <laughs> that want to understand the anatomy in such a way that they can, you know, assess really effectively. And that that's great. Just know where you fit and find the continuing ed that makes sense for you. And don't fucking worry about if it's approved. Continuing ed is such a weird, it's a weird business. Weird. We still haven't learned about Lori's continuing ed business. I'm going to shut up. Tell us about your continuing ed business. <laughs> so um, I think that I started because I got out of formal education and I'm like, you know what? I just want to teach what I want to teach. The things that have worked for me and pass on knowledge, you know, like the old school passing on of knowledge. Um, and I started to teach some in-person courses, mostly in Ontario. Um, and then when, you know, the whole thing that happened in the last three years happened, um, I went online. And so now mo most of my courses are online. Um, it works really well for me because I'm, I feel like I'm a very highly functioning introvert and like a weekend of courses in person just kills me. Um, I love them, but it's kind of hard on me psychologically. Uh, so I do a lot of stuff um, online, which I love, um, and it really is suited to anatomy. But most of my courses have a very large anatomy component. Um, and so anything that I teach really is um, understanding anatomy in a way that is informed by um, anatomy trains, fascial lines, and by movement. Specifically, like I use the Vleeming subsystems as kind of a lens to look through a lot uh, because they they explain gait patterns and break up gait patterns. And I really like looking at gait because it's the thing that humans do most of the time. Um, and those Vleeming subsystems also inform how we move in, in lots of different ways as well. So um, they become really foundational in all of my courses, whether or not I'm talking about SOAS or whether or not I'm talking about um, how to do virtual assessment or whatever else. What is your continuing ed company called, Lori? Like if people are listening to this and they wanted to take some courses, how do people find you? Uh, sensory Motor uh, Education. So it's sensorymotor.ca um, and at sensorymotor underscore education on Instagram. And we're so excited that you're going to be teaching a course about SOAS at the Canadian Massage Conference, Halifax, and you are teaching that on what, the Saturday afternoon, correct? Saturday, yes. Saturday afternoon. So um, we have opened registration for that. We're just waiting to get the virtual um, courses up. Actually, Lori, if you want to teach a virtual course, you can do that too. But we're going to do have a whole virtual day as well. So once that's up, then the entire schedule is up. But yeah, ticket sales for in-person are already going. So anybody who's interested in hearing Lori speak can check out her socials or come to Halifax. Yeah. I'm so excited to come to Halifax. That time of year is killer. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining us. I know you actually have patience today, so we appreciate you taking time out on this beautiful Thursday morning. Uh, Mark, do you have any other questions for Lori before we wrap up? Probably a billion, but Probably a billion. We'll, we'll do it in person. <laughs> Over an Alexander Keith. That, that works, that works. Alright. <laughs> right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.